1230 here at 95.3 WBEV, powered by Daily Dodge. Let's join Craig Warmbold for community comment. Well, thank you very much and good afternoon. Welcome to Community Comment. Our uh, guest on Community Comment today is the uh, state representative in Madison who is from the Beaver Dam area, Republican Mark Bourne, joining us. Thank you very much for uh, being here today. Good afternoon. Good to be here as always on this, in, in, in this case, on this exciting week of the uh, state budget release. And uh, I'm sure folks listening are just as excited as uh, I am as the budget chairman, <laughs> right? To be in the, uh, the official uh, launch here of uh, the state budget process. Very exciting times. You know, the Dodge County area <laughs> has always been kind of lucky as it comes to representation. I mean, uh, before yourself, we had uh, Jeff Fitzgerald, Scott Fitzgerald, you know, uh, majority leader of uh, in the House or in the Senate, uh, you know, you've got quite a title yourself, uh, co-chair of uh, Joint Finance. I mean, that's, the Dodge County area has really been pretty well served in the legislature over the years. Yeah, and Jeff, I mean, I replaced Jeff when he retired and decided not to run for re-election to the Assembly, and he was the Speaker of the Assembly when he left. And, and yeah, Scott was the Senate Majority Leader for a number of years, and I've had an opportunity now to lead for this this being the second budget as the assembly co-chair on the joint finance committee which is the budget writing committee so uh yeah it's um you know i guess the the area elects uh good leaders i guess you could say i don't know <laughs> yeah. I, I just i just that's a nice <laughs> softball that we're yeah, starting yeah. off with here for good you way Mark. To start, yeah <laughs> but, no it's it's a it's a great opportunity because it's both um um, I enjoy this stuff, you know, from you know way back in the day, even on city council, I enjoyed mm-hmm. the budget process and being a part of the budget committee there for three of my four terms. And I'm certainly excited to have that opportunity at the state level for several years now and for, like I said, a second budget as co-chair. And it, it does help, um, you know, at times bring some opportunities to to local area, like um, – We've talked about some of them on the air before, you know, right now. I, not, I saw not too long ago that they're moving forward with the project out at Puckajee Springs yeah. with the Beaver Dam Lake Improvement Association and the DNR. And, you know, that was something that I was able to help fund. And I don't remember if it was the last budget or the one before. Now they start to blur together. But, you know, without um, without um, having local folks having the impact on that, maybe those things don't happen or they don't happen as easily. So it's nice to be able to do that to get some of those local connections to some of those projects. And I know you're really busy uh, at this time of the year, and that's that's no joke. So we do appreciate the uh, the time here today, and uh, we'll let our listeners know nine two zero eight eight five forty four forty six. We're certainly going to be focused on the budget here. Uh, we don't mind taking a detour, but I have a feeling we'll still be just coming right back to the budget, even if uh, the question might not be budget related. So um, you know, I guess let's just jump right into it. Um, yeah, I, I. What's the are there areas in the budget where um, where there is kind of a, a bipartisan kind of agreement maybe here in these early goings? Are we going to see the budget completely thrown out as we have in years past and, and, and starting from scratch? What what do you how do you foresee this uh, this process you're laying out with the governor having mm-hmm. laid out his budget here in the last couple of days? Well, the starting answer is yes. I'm sure there will be some areas of agreement in the budget or areas of our budget, the legislative budget, that will look very similar to what the governors did. But for the most part, um, the second answer to the second part of your question is there, are you going to throw this out? Yes. I mean, we don't really have any choice. 
Um, the governor has crafted this budget again in such a way that it's built on sand. Um, a lot of the budget is is built on welfare expansion and legalizing of drugs and um, massive tax increases on manufacturers and businesses and really individuals and sales tax increases in certain parts of the state and things like that. So when you craft a budget built on all of those things that are just going to be non-starters in a legislative budget, it's pretty hard to work with that document or put or put the pieces back together when you pull out all those non-starters and just make it work. So we'll do what we did last time, which is work from base is what we call it. But what what that means is we're working from current law, the current budget, which was a bipartisan budget. You know, a year and a half ago, we passed this legislative budget and the governor signed it and, and quite frankly, ran on a bunch of it for re-election, you know, and, and a bunch of the, his ads. So it's a very much a bipartisan budget that we're living under right now here in Wisconsin, and that's what we're going to start from. And then we'll take um, the opportunity from there to build a budget that reflects all of Wisconsin, um, that... Um, lowers taxes to return some money during these inflationary times, but also invests in a whole variety of priorities, which some of them I'm sure we'll have a chance to talk more about today or certainly in the coming months as we work through this legislative process for the next several months. You know, the target is to have the the budget done by July 1st because that's when the new fiscal year starts. And um, right now we're on schedule and, you know, we'll (laughs) See how that continues from there, but uh, was asked that earlier today as well in a different uh, interview, and yeah, we're definitely on schedule right now, and we'll see uh, where we end up from here. Have we have we had a budget adopted past the the deadline since Doyle? Oh yeah, yeah. My um, actually, my first budget on the committee uh, okay. under Governor Walker, um, we got stalled between the two houses. Um, about the right way to fund transportation was the issue okay, at the yeah, time. Yeah. And that one was, I was on the committee, and now I'm trying to remember if it was September or October, but it went well, well yeah. into fall, and I remember there was a lot of drama yeah. um, and uh, and uh, challenges with that at the time. Um, Boy, but, you're right. The budgets do start to bleed together yeah. after a while, don't they? So uh, this uh, the, the governor's budget, uh, as he rolls it out, $103.8 billion. Uh, total spending increasing almost 18% in the first year to $52.1 billion, and then by 17% um, to $51.7 billion in the, uh, in the second year, with state spending increasing 23% in that first year. What, uh, what numbers uh, are, are going to be the starter for Republicans? Is it a 0% uh, increase? Is there an is there increase that might be more in line with the inflation that we're seeing now? Yeah, certainly at this point in the process, which just really officially started for the legislature on Wednesday, so two days ago with the governor's budget, I don't have a number, but I can tell you they will be a lot lower than that. I mean, those <laughs> numbers are staggering. Um, it's hard. I mean, we thought last budget, the governor's spending increases were amazingly high, and they were just a little under 10%. And now we're at 17, 18% increases. The general fund um, increases at 23%. I mean, those are big numbers. Um, he spends general fund wise $9 billion. I mean, the state has a $7 billion surplus, and yet he had to go out and find ways to spend even more than an historic surplus. So the spending is amazing. Um, in some ways, unfortunately, not surprising. 
um, but really just excessive levels of spending, excessive levels of growing government. The number of new programs um, were kind of surprising. We knew there would be some, but just the efforts to grow government were, were shocking. And I think the other thing, as I mentioned, you know, we've talked before about the surplus. You know, the state's in the strongest financial position it's, it's probably ever been in. I mean, that's kind of how the governor started his speech the other night, talking about how good a financial position we were in, one of the best ever, with a strong, healthy surplus. And then in his speech and his budget, he proceeds to find a bunch of ways to continue to increase taxes. Like, how does that make sense? We're in such fine shape, but we can't. But he can't stop finding ways to raise taxes on Wisconsin families and Wisconsin businesses. And, you know, he touts his tax cut, but in reality, he's cutting a little bit over here for a few people and then finding ways to raise taxes and not just income taxes, but sales taxes. He's proposing new sales taxes in cities over a population of, I think, 30,000. Um, so, you know, Beaver Dam, I guess, can be thankful they're, they're below that, but uh, and not going to see that. And, and, and obviously, we're not going to allow that to happen. But then he's also creating new programs where he's creating new fees and taxes on businesses. And, and it was it's just amazing that in this healthy economic situation we're in, he still has to go and seek more ways to find more money from the wallets of the people of Wisconsin to spend even more on government. So as it, as it relates to the idea of a sales tax in in cities, and this is something we've heard about from Beaver Dam officials, it's not necessarily that he, he would raise taxes in those cities, is that he would give voters the opportunity to implement a sales tax that they would able be able to keep local, which is mm-hmm. seems like one of the conversations that comes up every time we talk about shared revenue and, and revenue caps and, and things like that. Is it uh, is it unreasonable to allow voters in a city to be able to decide if there should be a, a sales tax? I think generally speaking at this time, yes, for part of the reasons I just said, is um, there are we've already collected too much money from the taxpayers. That's part of why we have a surplus. And so why would we not instead talk about um, putting um, money into shared revenue and a more sustainable funding source for that rather than finding new ways to collect even more money from the taxpayers? I mean, those are clear philosophical differences to start with, but also the timing of them just would make doesn't make any sense to me at all. Now, to say that, Will we never do a sales tax or anything like that? No, of course not. We we have one now. Um, almost every county in Wisconsin, including Dodge County, has a half percent sales tax. Um, and sales tax is certainly part of the discussion on trying to fix the incredibly terrible budget problems that they have, mostly because of really, really bad leadership and management in the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County when it comes to pensions. They have... Um, major pension obligations because of really poor decision making and, and you know even some criminal stuff in the case of Milwaukee County years ago there were people charged on some of that and um, they're probably going to need some help fixing that and sales tax might be part of that solution but that isn't you know all that the governor's proposing he's proposing much more widespread things I think there are some times um, in fact years ago um, is this six years ago, maybe eight years ago? I signed on to a bill that was a half percent sales tax for tr- for road funding. 
that would have been similar to what you were suggesting in your question. The bill allowed counties to go to the voters in referendum and say, do you support an additional half percent sales tax in your county? And then the, the bill had a formula how that money split between counties and municipalities. And I think several years ago, I thought that was a good idea. Um, I think now, between state and federal money, we've put a lot more into roads and are building a better you know, investments there. And again, with the surplus nature, I'm not sure that that is as good of an idea as it was a few years ago. In the future, it might be a better idea again. You know, time will tell what the circumstances are then. But generally speaking, all of these different ways to just continue to capture more money from the people of Wisconsin, which is what we see in the governor's budget, is not good policy for the state of Wisconsin and certainly not good for the wallet of the taxpayers here. Uh, 10% income tax cut uh, for single earners, 100000 up to 100000 couples up to $150,000. Um, I'm, I'm uh, assuming, based on what I've read, uh, that the um, Republican response to that is um, more about leaving those earners above 150000 out. We're already taxed at uh, 7 or 8% or whatever it may be uh, higher is 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 that the concern that there's not some uniformity in those income tax savings where the governor seems to be talking about targeting middle class mm-hmm. specifically i think the concern is several and that's certainly one of them um, but it's a more of an overall policy difference um, we believe we need to be competitive as a state when it comes to tax policy and when we look around and um, Democrat states like Illinois have a flat tax at a much lower rate. Um, and other states like Minnesota, who's usually been controlled by the Dems, or split government, Michigan in a split government situation, they've all gone to flat taxes because they recognize from a policy perspective the advantages of that for the state. So now we're not competitive in the Midwest. We are taxing at way too high a rate, especially in those top brackets, and a lot of those are you know, the business sectors. It's Most small businesses in Wisconsin don't pay taxes on a corporate tax. Um, they pay it on individual taxes because they're set up as smaller partnerships and different types of corporations that don't pay a corporate. They pay the individual owners pay them. And uh, when those rates are out of whack with your neighbors, it makes it harder to compete um, in, in an economic way. And um, so I don't know why Democrats in Illinois have figured this out and Democrats in Wisconsin have so far been unable to figure this out. But we've been building, Republicans have been building towards a flatter tax for years already. Now, that doesn't mean this budget will be suddenly the time where we're finally able to fully accomplish that. But we should be doing things that help continue to move us in that direction. And that means lowering taxes for everyone, collapsing brackets, moving towards that goal. And so for the governor, his tax policy in the budget, if you want to call it a policy, is more of a talking point. He's trying to reach a goal where he can claim he did something for some individuals that he wants to. He can attack others in some sort of a class war. And then mostly what his tax policy is, what we've already talked about quite a bit, is just finding ways to increase taxes so he can get more money, grow government, and spend even more. So his small tax reduction is completely lost in his budget by all of his other tax increases, and it's just not good tax policy. So that flat tax... 
Actually, the head, I don't want to bury the headline, Bourne supports a Illinois Democrats tax plan, I think, is the, the, the headline here. You know what? If that's the headline we need to get Democrats in Wisconsin to the table to start seriously talking about being a more competitive state for tax policy, that we've got to get, you know, like the Minnesota and Illinois Dems to come and sit down with us and tell them how we can do this or something, I guess, okay. I mean, <laughs> it, it's just the right thing to do. So if if a Illinois Dem can help me do it, let's do it. So uh, so three and a, is three and a quarter the, the flat tax that you're, that's kind of the, the number being kicked around by Republicans now? No, I would say that there's one bill that has that. There's other plans that have different amounts. I don't think we have an amount necessarily that are, is the magic number. I think it's unlikely that in this current budget we'll be able to get to a complete flat tax anyway. I think we'll just continue to build in that direction like we have for several budgets now. But um, we're getting closer to it, I think, at least I hope, because I think it's really important, as we've talked about, especially for competing in the Midwest with our tax policy. So the uh, the governor's uh, proposed two-year budget would also uh, direct 20% of uh, state sales tax to uh, to local governments. Thoughts? Yeah, I think this is something that we talked a little bit about when I was on last time. I don't remember if I'd put a number on it, but we've, um, and legislative Republicans have been working with the League of Municipalities that represents cities and villages, the Towns Association, and the Counties Association for several months on a plan that has some similarities to this. Um, it's really about trying to find some sustainable long-term funding, new funding for local governments who are certainly feeling the inflationary pressures, who um, certainly are feeling the pressures of, of levy limits that aren't allowing them to increase their property taxes as much as some of them would like for obvious reasons because the property taxes are high enough in this state, especially for folks on fixed incomes. So trying to put some more money into that system um, I think the big differences are in the governor's plan that really, um, you know, that's where I mentioned he adds in the sales taxes to try to tax more in that area and uh, doesn't do a whole lot um, for reform or innovation. A lot of it's more of the same system. He, uh, I think, splits it up and promises it to some specific areas, but really no no changes. And for us to put this kind of money into local governments – we, we want to see innovation. We want to see reform. We don't want to just keep funding the old failed systems. We want to see um, things like consolidation, what the future of local government's going to look like, and we want to be partners in that. That's where this money really wants to be. Um, so those are the discussions we've been having with those local governments to see um, you know, what we can come up with. They've had a lot of good ideas, I think. And um, so we're working through that. I'm hopeful that we can get that done. Um, it's something that I talked a little bit about at the city council and uh, meeting in Beaver Dam a few weeks ago, late January, I think. I was there. Um, didn't talk about it in a lot of detail yet because at that point the governor was not on board at all, um, and um, we were very much in negotiations with those groups um, at that point. But I was hopeful then, and I'm still hopeful that we can find something, uh, a way to move that forward. Because I think it's the right thing to do. I just think it's important. The, the amount of money that we're talking about putting into that, it, it can't just be the same old, same old. Like we don't want to just prop up systems and bureaucracies. We want to make sure that we're finding real solutions for public safety and things like that. Because we know there are major challenges with like fire and EMS especially. And so how do we help with those 
consolidations with you know transitions from volunteer departments where they just can't maintain that service anymore how do we help with um, making sure that we have first of all an ems response but then the quality of that or the i shouldn't say the quality the level uh, that the the community expects or wants in that as far as emt or paramedic level things like that and so you know new money can help with that stuff but we want to make sure that we're you know, putting it to good use and building things that can be the future of essential services that our local governments provide. Above and beyond the um, uh, the emergency services component there, it, it does seem at the local level that we're hearing a lot from, even though these are nonpartisan positions, uh, local leaders who represent both sides of the aisle that say, you know, we've, we've consolidated, you know, we've been over the last, you know, however many decades with uh, revenue limits in place, you know, we've, we've, we've brought it down to the, to the bare bone. Uh, there's not much more left to, to consolidate there. So is that, so are, are you suggesting there isn't a number of uh, that we would, I mean, the governor puts 20% as far as that, lo- that sales tax increase. Mm-hmm. Is there, is there going to be, is that a zero number you think that the Republicans would look at, or do you think there would be some some type of increase in um, in sharing some of those sales tax revenues. No, and I'm sorry if I misspoke there. I thought I indicated that we were definitely, I mean, we've been leading on this for months, looking okay. to put new money right. in. Right. And um, a 20% or one cent of the five cents is something that we've been talking for months with locals about. So it's a number okay. that's possible. All right. Um, and I thought I was clear that there'd be new money. It's just that the new money is going to be tied to, um, or at least some of it, I mean, some of it can just be tied to inflationary pressures, probably, but a lot of it's going to have to be tied to um, what I would what I'm what I've been calling is the future of local right. government. We want to put a sustainable funding source in place, and as you know, um, sales tax revenue grows, that could be then a percent of that could be continuing to grow with those locals. We just want to make sure that it's funding necessarily things for the future and not just funding old failed policies of the past and when you say that you know local governments say they've done everything they can that's always one of the challenges from a state perspective because there are some local governments that i'm aware of that i think have done everything or nearly everything they can Mm -hmm. and there's some that have done a little Mm -hmm. and then there's some that really haven't done a damn thing You know, that continue to find ways because they have healthy growth or they create wheel taxes and, um, or, and, or create other, you know, revenue streams. Locally, they just created the new garbage fee uh, utility Beaver thing yeah. in, Be- in Beaver Dam. You know, so they go and capture new money, continue to grow budgets um, in some places. And so that's why state policy gets difficult because it's easy for me to look at some of the communities that I can think of in my district that really have tightened their belt and maybe had to over tighten their belt. And then it's easy to find some in other places. I don't know that I have any, I don't think I have any in this area that I would say have done nothing. That's I would not say that at all. There certainly have done things in all communities that I'm aware of in my district, but I could, there's some in the state that have done virtually nothing uh, when it comes to this sort of thing. So then to try to create a state policy that works when you have that, I mean, sometimes it's the same challenges with schools, you know. The state policy has to be more of a one-size-fits-all. You can create some exemptions sometimes, and then you have such wide varieties of ways the way schools run and govern. Well, municipalities aren't any different. 
So that's where it gets challenging. And another thing I think that I would add to that when you say that they like to say they've, the municipalities like to say they've done everything they can. In our discussions with their associations, they've kind of acknowledged they've done everything they can that's easy or Mm -hmm. relatively easy. The really hard stuff that costs more or requires them to give up a little bit more of their autonomy by consolidating with someone else for a really big thing that's a lot harder to do and, and it is i respect that i mean i as you're fully aware and i'm sure the listeners are that have listened to us for over 10 years now on community comment wow. i spent four <laughs> years on city council here yeah. in Dam. so i understand that too there's tough decisions that have to be made there's tough challenges to be made um, budgeting is not easy there so i certainly understand that too um that's why the idea of like an innovation fund being part of the new money is so exciting to some of us of all right cities and villages and towns that have wanted to do something outside the box but can't quite get there because the consolidation gets trickier the money over time or long time their savings but one of you might have to take on some additional costs to help everybody save overall and stuff with that consolidation how about we create a fund with some of this new money that helps bridge that gap some additional state money so we can get that done lower our overall personnel footprint maybe between the groups that decide to do it you know lower some overall spending but for the one group that has to take on the the coordination the consolidation of that it might be a little bit more a little bit trickier let us help with that Hmm. so i think that's the thought and um the hope is that the low-hanging fruit's been done in a lot of municipalities let's reach a little higher flesh out if you would this kind of rudimentary uh vision or expectation that uh that legislators republican and democrat have when it comes to and you know i'm not asking you to do anything specific here um but and you you alluded to this just a second ago, but elaborate a little bit more as as far as maybe what you envision or what you guys are talking about when it comes to the consolidation of some of these emergency services that we're talking about rural fire departments, rural EMS departments that are that are having you know the challenges that they're facing not just in Wisconsin but across the country in terms of what that what that could look like and what that process to get there might look like. Yeah, it's not hard to give examples of it because it's already happening. In some ways, it's been happening for a long time across the state. And uh, some of this I've just learned recently because I've had my staff look into it to try to get more ideas. And, you know, there's there's an ability right now today under current law for counties to to consolidate EMS at the county level. And there are – now I can't remember if it's four or five. I think it's four counties that do this. And one of them, Door County, has been doing it since the 70s. Hmm. They've been doing it a long time. And with those counties that do it, there's different ways they do it. There's different ways they set it up. Um, one of them, I think it's door, has it set up as like its own agency where there's a coordinator that handles it countywide and they've got um, satellite stations out around the county and they cover it and you know there's a system. Um, and one of the other counties, I can't remember which one, I think it might have been Shano, but it, I'm not, don't quote me on that one, but they run it through the sheriff's department. And there's a you know probably a captain or a lieutenant in the sheriff's department that manages the program. Again, you've got satellite places, um, and those have worked well in those counties. Now, there's other places where 
people don't want to do that in the counties, you know, but that's an option. And current law allows the counties that do that to exceed levy limits to do it. So they can actually tax for it. And that's current law. That's not even asking anyone for, you know, you don't, you don't need to ask anyone for money. You can just do it yourself if you're willing to put that together. Um, there's also, it's also done on a smaller scale. I mean, right here in partially my district, partially Will Penderman's district, um, Kleiman, Reeseville, and Lowell recently. It's been covered, you know, yeah. I think it was the first of this year or was it last year, Ray? I think it was last year. Was it last yeah. year? So for over a year, um, you know, what are we, 14 months now, they consolidated um, three fire departments into one. They've got trucks in different places and things, but one chief now and uh, one unit. And so um, we look at, you know, things like an innovation fund as ways to help with that because I've heard from the chief there about some of the challenges with that. And so there's already stuff going on that that could help with. Um, there's countless examples around the state of consolidated dispatching. We've had it here in Dodge County mm -hmm. for a long time already. Yeah. Um, that happened sometime when I was at the Sheriff's Department. I don't remember what year, and I haven't been employed there in more than a decade, so <laughs> it's, it's certainly been a, a long time that that's been going on in Dodge County, as well as many other counties. But there's still a number of places that don't. You know, the city of Hartford, not that far from here, still has their own dispatching. Um, you know, that's their choice, and they get to make those choices. But then when they make those choices and things cost more, you know, is that really a state responsibility then? You know, when I when I hear, you know, we can't, you know, we don't have enough money, but communities are making those choices to keep things under their control at higher costs for equipment and personnel, you know, this, that's where this stuff gets tricky on a statewide level. Like, how much of that? And that's when I say we're not just going to keep funding the old ways. If you want to do things the way you always have, even though it costs you this much more, that's something you got to talk to your local taxpayers about then. You know, go to referendum. If that's what they want to do, they can certainly do that. And communities can do that. It's kind of like Beaverdam did here a couple of years ago when they wanted to exceed their levy limits to add the fire paramedic folks. They went to referendum. The community said yes. They got to tax to that level, hire those folks, and provide that service that the community was willing to pay for. There's a mechanism for that. It, it shouldn't be just our job at the state level to say we'll give you more money or the ability to tax your people to whatever level um, because you want to keep doing things the way you've always done them. I think with some of this new money, like I said, there's opportunities to say, but we will help you if you want to find ways to do them. That can be the future of the way we should do these things. Other people are doing it already in different ways. The examples I gave aren't the only way. It's not like that money is only if you know, multiple fire departments are willing to consolidate or something. There might be other things um, that can do that too. You know, there's two counties in Wisconsin that I'm aware of uh, in Ozaki and Washington that have consolidated their health department under one administrator. You know, maybe that's something that would work in other counties and, and save money. And it's something that they've been doing for a few years now. So it's, let's look at it. Has it worked? How does it work? How does it not work? Um, could you have some of the same things with with parks departments and things maybe, or uh, mapping, um, you know, things like that. Uh, land use, um, a lot of this stuff's getting more and more technology that helps with the work. So you know, how many people, how many department heads do you really need to do some of this stuff? There is a lot of stuff that can be done at, um, 
you know, the municipal level specifically. There's a lot of stuff that can be done at the state level too, but that's not what we're talking about right now. The question's about municipal funding um, to make more efficient, to make it, you know, the local governments of the future that will help provide the necessary resources that we have to have but in, in better ways. So if I'm hearing you right, the, the mechanisms are in place, and let's just bring it just to the emergency services uh, conversation. The mechanisms are in place from a budget planning perspective over the next two years. Is there, is it go, is there going to be talk about increasing those incentives, do you anticipate, uh, bolstering those incentives, uh, in the innovation side of that? Yeah, I think that's part of the discussion is figuring out how that innovation fund component, and that's not where all the new money is going to be, but that's right. where a chunk of it needs to be if we're going to put this size of a money in. If we're, not, if, if we're just going to try to just say this is inflationary, keep doing what you want to do, we're going to put new money in municipal governments then, but it's just going to be a lot less. If we're going to do a bold amount like we're talking here with some sustainability that has a tie to the sales tax that the state collects to keep it growing over time, then we want reforms. We want opportunities for innovation. Um, and I don't think that's unreasonable. And in our discussions with local governments, they haven't felt that that's unreasonable. I think some of them are excited about the idea of having help doing some of the more difficult things. And much like we have innovative leaders in like those counties, for example, that have done centralized um, EMS for a while now, I mean, that didn't just happen by magic. That happened because there were leaders there that were innovative and said, look, this is a challenge for us to provide this service in our communities. We can do it this way if we just give up some of our local control at the village level and stuff, go to a county system, this can work. They've shown it can work. We just need you know, other people to look at that. And I mean, these examples aren't you know, the only exclusive examples either. If there are municipalities that have other innovative things, I, I think they would be open to the discussion and the process. And if there are ways that the state can help with it, I think there's certainly members that would be interested in that. Overdue for a break here. Generally speaking, do you anticipate that um, you know, general state aid uh, keeps in keeps up with inflation? If we're seeing inflation at 7%, or will a municipality see some some type of perhaps congruent increase in, in state aid? Well, if we're able to accomplish what we want to accomplish with this sustainable funding, it will be way more than inflation as far as the percentage increase. Okay. And we haven't even talked about all the some of the other ways that cities and yeah. stuff get money, like the general transportation aids. I think you'll see increases in those for roads and stuff. So there's there's a lot of money um, in local government now, and I'm sure after this budget there will be a lot of additional funds. State Representative Mark Bourne of Beaver Dam, our guest here, uh, co-chair of the Joint Finance Committee, uh, tasked with uh, getting that uh, two-year state budget uh, to the uh, the governor's desk. Uh, you got questions or comments, 920-885-4446. We'll be back in just a few minutes. You're listening to 95.3 WBEV, powered by Daily Dodge. Let's go back to Craig Warmbold for more community comment. And our uh, guest is State Representative Mark Bourne of Beaver Dam. The phone number, if you've got a, a question or a comment, is 920-885-4446. And we'll go back to the phones, uh, or we'll go to the phones, I believe, the, the first call of the day here. We've got Tyler from Watertown joining us. We'll uh, say good afternoon. Welcome to Community Comment. Hi, Craig. How are you? Good. How are you? I've got to admit, what you do for community comment, all the guests you have are really good ever since the station took over the FM. Well, thank you very much, Tyler. We appreciate that. I got a question for Mr. Bourne. Um, what do you think of, do you think the state could ever get tougher on drunk drivers? Because you see all these repeat offenders like 
not too long ago, there was one they made there for their ninth driving while intoxicated or stuff like do you think we could get tougher on them because i would hate for you love for you um lawmakers to lose one of your loved ones to a drunk driver sure yeah well, thanks, thanks for the question thanks for the question yeah um certainly this is something that's debated and discussed every cycle um i think almost every cycle that i've been in the legislature we've done something along these lines um usually it's heavily focused on repeat offenders uh, i think that there's always a sensitivity to um, you know, that first offense of someone making a mistake versus people that are doing it over and over again. Also, I think a lot of it has to do, and this is a lot of our crimes that are related to drugs or alcohol, you know, a lot of it has to do with treatment um, being a, a key part of that. So that's why we've created things like alcohol courts, drug courts, um, diversion courts, uh, um, treatment and diversion, TAD courts is what they're called in the state funding usually, um, to try to help people through these type of things on those first offenses, those early offenses to hopefully stop it there. Um, but certainly when it comes to repeat offenders, we have been getting tougher on that. We've been increasing the penalties, um, more people in prisons, which is ex of course extremely costly to the state, very expensive to incarcerate people, to put people in prison for um, what's really just a drinking problem. But as he points out in the question, you know, the, the dangers of it is just too much to not do that. And so we have been part of the reason for our more recent overcrowding in some of our prisons has been those changes to those OWI laws, um, adding, you know, a lot of people um, to prison at fourth and fifth and sixth and, and, and higher offenses. But um, it's something that we felt was necessary for public safety. I'm still concerned, though, that we continue to hear, you know, on your news reports here on, on the station and in other places of 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th offense. I don't know if I've heard higher than 10 yet, but I, I know I've heard that high. And It's happened. And it makes it, you know, it makes me wonder, like, I mean, this isn't working either, you know, getting tougher is the question. Well, how can you get tougher than putting people in prison for, I mean, the the... I think it's fourth now that is triggers the felony and you know that requires a year and a half in prison and obviously that didn't stop these folks that because they got a fourth at some point and then a fifth and a sixth and a seventh and well, that's a minimum year and a half yeah so um the short answer is yes i think you know we'll look at some things i know the governor's proposed some things so we'll certainly take a look at those at He's got an ignition interlock thing in there. I'm not sure if that's the answer. I did have some local conversations on that. And that's for first offense that he's proposing. I don't know exactly. I haven't looked at the details of it, but if it is, you know, that seems um, like that's a pretty big jump right off the bat. Um, it does seem like the conversation should be more about trying to target those repeat offenders rather than maybe those first-time offenders, or it had been, I should yeah, say. Yeah, that's what it has been, and, and, and I think that's where most of it will stay because again we don't want to overreact to you know there are certainly people that get a first offense and never ever get close to getting a second offense because it's a very expensive and very dangerous and you know quite a you know life-changing learning experience for them and i don't want to overreact on that either um but it's it's a challenge and you know something that we'll take a look at again i'm sure uh during this session, I don't know if most of this, because a lot of it usually isn't heavily financially related. It's probably more likely to be legislation outside of the budget than um, we try to avoid doing a lot of policy in, in, a, in the state budget. It should be more of a fiscal document.
Thanks for the question, Tyler. We do appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll follow up a, along this line, uh, maybe on the, the criminal side of things. Um, governor's two-year budget, uh, which was uh, recently unveiled here, 817 new full-time positions, of which 368 are funded with uh, state money. Uh, that includes 51 additional assistant district attorneys. Um, how do we feel? Maybe let's not talk about the 817 number yet. Let's yeah. let's just talk about that 51 number. Um, well, as far as new positions for district attorneys, I think we'll certainly take a look at those. Um, but we've talked, I think, last month also um, with the Dodge County situation. Um, their vacancies are so high. Their starting pay is too low. So, uh, again, for both public defenders and district attorneys, I'm not sure that our first or even our second or maybe even third priority should be how many more positions we can add. Let's first figure out how we can fill the ones we have that are vacant. You know, let's focus on that starting wage, on the retention. Um, So I'm not saying that we won't add any. I want to look at where they're needed, what they are. Well, I doubt we'll add as many as he's suggesting because I'm very confident that we will not add 800 and some new um, positions to state government. But we will add in areas that we that we have to add, um, and the public defenders may very well be one of them because they're not just short staff. They've been challenged for quite a while. Um, but I'm always very suspicious of agencies that say, they need more positions, and that's why they're having problems or struggles when they have big vacancy rates. If you can't fill your current spots, why would I give you more? Let's first figure out how we can fix that, and fix that by meaning either get those spots filled or if it's a different agency that maybe technology could help, can we do some upgrades to software and make this a less labor-intensive job or something like that? But um, certainly I am confident there will be investments in the courts in this budget, and that means public defenders, DAs, and the courthouses, the judges, and, and judiciary itself, because we have some real weaknesses um, that have been exposed there. And one case that was exposed was certainly the situation here in Dodge County with not having any prosecutors. And it does seem to be the salary, in so, at least in some of these cases, that may be driving some of those vacancies. Uh, legislatively, through the state budget, are you able to target increases into specific areas, uh, specific salaries, or does that always have to be a general across the board? Three, I believe the governor is proposing like a 5% the first year across the board for state employees, 3% or something like that. I, I don't have that note right in front of me. But you could target that, though, if you want to, right? We could definitely target that. We've done that in the past. We did... Um a four or five dollar increase just for corrections officers right. a couple budgets ago. We'll probably do a major increase in that area again, so we can do it. And that, I mean, technically speaking, what we do is fund it in the budget through the appropriations, and then we have a joint committee that works with the Department of Administration, and then we reset all those salary in that action. So it's a it's two separate actions technically, but the funding, the discussion, the decision points will be in the state budget because that's where we'll fund it. Let me ask you just a quick question before we take this caller here. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was a big increase for corrections officers. Mm-hmm. Did it work? Um, I guess it depends on what you mean by work. Did it work fix, to fix every issue there? No. But did it are we still open? Are we still functioning? Yes. And, you know, we were we were way too low. We were in a downward spiral. They're still very struggled, struggling mightily there with, with staffing. But So I think it helped us um, 
keep the boat afloat and but we got more work to do there there's no doubt about that and that's going to have to be another area where we'll make some significant investments in this budget 920-885-4446 is that phone number if you've got a question or a comment for state representative mark Bourne of beaver dam we'll go to the phones and say good afternoon welcome to community comment hi it was talked a while back about not having sales tax on an electric bill why that's a necessity in life why we have to pay sales tax on electricity <laughs> good question thank you that is a good question and it's actually and i mean now you're talking all this surplus mm-hmm. hey, that's a necessity of life is electricity <laughs> right do i pay sales tax on water i don't I have no I, I i didn't know about this argument this is a this is all new to me Mark's shaking his yeah. head like, "Yep, yep, this is a, this is a this is an issue." Yep, and I know it's an issue because we just we've been talking about this in the legislature over the last couple of weeks as okay. as one okay. of the areas to consider making a tax change. Huh. So there's been some discussion about well, utility taxes. I think taxes. that's where that's where we should start because who can live without electricity? Yeah, and the caller makes I mean, a good and, point. And I mean, all these solar farms that are going up right now and taking all this ag land out of production—it's so sad. And they're getting such kickbacks. These companies are getting such kickbacks from the government to put these solar farms in. It, it's, I don't know, I'm not for it. Okay. Well, and just on that front, it's, that, that's a federal pro, you know, program right. and things that are pushing but, that. But, but our, money, our tax level. dollars are still going oh, right. to it. And, yep, and federal tax dollars. Lot, you know, yep. Like now we're with Alliant, and Alliant is doing a lot of these farm, uh, uh, solar farms, so... <laughs> One hand yep. feeds the other that way. Yep. So second question first, and then first question second. Okay, I'm going to hang up. <laughs> Thanks for the call. The second question was solar farms. I, well, yeah, I think was, we yeah. maybe maybe we address that though. Yeah, the Fed, that's more of a Fed. The Feds are pushing that. The state is not providing funding to to push that. Um, but on the on the idea of the utility tax issue. She makes a good point as far as the policy discussion because, as you know, in Wisconsin there are a number of things that are exempt from sales tax, like food. Yeah. Um, and you know that's a decision because you're thinking you know that's something that people need for livelihood. But then other things like processed foods. So when you go and you, you buy your you know pre-made sandwich at your local gas station or something, that is taxed because that's not the, it's not treated the same. And so there's policy decisions that are made on those things. And she makes a good point about the utilities and the fact that people really need that to survive. And, and is that something that should be you know exempted from the sales tax? Um, so that's a you guys uh, are discussion talking about ongoing. that now, though. It's one of the things that's being considered. I don't know if we're going to end up doing it. It's more of an yeah, the idea phase right now. I'm not saying it's going to happen. Sure. But we are looking always at a variety of ways to lower the tax burden in Wisconsin. And so, um, hmm. you know, from the, you know, it's not always just income taxes. I mean, you think about it, property taxes. We we removed the only state you know line item on the property tax several years ago. I think it was the last Walker budget. Um, the forestry mill tax that was on there, so we took that off. It was it was the smallest one that was always on your property taxes, but you went from four things that were taxed or five things that were taxed you to four. Hmm. Um, we also, in I think my first budget in the legislature ten years ago, um, and last budget we added to this, we've been we've been changing some of the funding to technical colleges and lowering the amount that is on your that's funded by your property taxes. Hmm. So that's been getting smaller over two actions that we've made in the last decade. Um, you know, and so one of the discussions is could be, do we do we finish that? Do we take the rest of that off and fund it just the way we fund um, other higher ed in the state and don't make it continue to be part of the property? And there's 
pluses and minuses to that and people who like it and don't like it just like there would be this caller thought taking the sales tax off of the utility is a good idea um i don't think i certainly don't think it's a bad one but there will be people that you know will think it's a bad one so it's uh, always all part of the debate am i paying tax on my water <laughs> i don't think i don't think that the water utility has okay. a tax on that i remember from the bill all right huh. but I'm, maybe you are and it's I'm just after- worked into the flat rate or something too i don't okay. know well I'm- to I'm going to look into that. Into that. Yeah. I, that, was a, that was a very interesting question. And uh, the number, if you've got a question, uh, 920-885-4446. We'll go back to the phones and say good afternoon. Welcome to Community Comment. Are you talking to me? We're talking to you. All right. Hello. How are you today? Good. good. That's good. Uh, I have a question. I don't know if you've answered this. I came in a little bit late on the discussion. But about the uh, personal income tax in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, I want uh, a representative born to understand that uh, when the clock strikes midnight on January 1st, 2025, the Trump tax cut for the middle class goes away. It disappears. It no longer exists, and we go back to our old rate. Now, I asked Congressman Grothman when he was on here back in August, I think, what they were going to do about it, and he assured me that they would never let a tax cut uh, go away. Well, that's not true, because it did happen when President Obama gave us a middle-class tax cut in 2008-9. But anyways, if we've got all this surplus, instead of giving a 50% tax cut to the wealthy and businesses, why not direct it to the middle class? Because our taxes are going to go up. I don't see the Republicans in the legislature... Uh, giving Joe Biden a win by giving a middle-class tax cut uh, in the next two years. I'd like to see a better tax cut for the middle class, which is not everybody that's listening to this program today. Well, we're, we're connecting two completely different taxing situations here, but it's coming out of the same wallet, so I yeah, certainly understand correct. the that frustration. <laughs> but that's where the challenge comes in, and... Because of the differences in the federal tax and the state taxes, no matter what we do at the state, unless we eliminate our state income tax, and even then I'm not sure it would be enough to save you, you pay a lot more in federal taxes than you pay in state taxes. So if your state, if those federal um, reductions go away, there is nothing I can do to help you because I don't get a voice in Washington, D.C. I don't get a vote there. And I couldn't possibly lower your state taxes enough to offset that. But anything might help. I hear you there. And we're certainly going to do things to reduce that burden. Um, and I, I think the, where, where people get caught in this, in this game that's played politically, and when I said before that the governor's tax plan is really about rhetoric, he's lowering taxes in one spot because he wants to claim he's doing something special for a certain people, the middle class he calls it. And then he's going to raise all these other taxes in all these other places. So if you go to the bigger city, you're going to pay more for sales tax if you're there. Your cost of goods are going to go up because all the manufacturers are having to pay more taxes. So he's still going to find a way to suck that money out of your wallet. He's just telling you he's not, and you're buying into it. Which is why the legislative Republicans want to focus on the overall tax policy because if we can get to our eventual goals of having a flat tax that's a lower tax that's competitive with our Midwestern neighbors 
you will save both on your income taxes far more than you're going to save on the tax cut that's preferred by the that's put out there by the governor because the rate will be lower everyone will be saving at that rate and you'll see it then on goods you're not going to see that tax increase and in, in when you have to go buy something on the sales tax or the woman that called earlier i mean if if these sales taxes you know start to tick up she's going to see it on her utility bill and everywhere else and so that's why these policy decisions become so important and it's not just a gimmick it's not i'm going to give someone five bucks here and then i'm going to tax all these other people so that it ends up costing you 20 bucks down the road on buying other things from manufacturers and processed goods and stuff like that you didn't save a darn thing you're 15 bucks in the hole but you think you saved something because you said i gave you that five dollar tax cut well, it just seems to me that, like I was saying, perhaps you could use your voice with Mr. Grossman, Mr. Fitzgerald, Stiles, uh, and have these people introduce a middle-class tax cut at the federal level. I understand you don't have a vote in it, yep. but you do talk to these people. And, and, and I- these people knew that in, when they gave us the Trump tax cut, it was going away in eight years, and that year... The, the, the piper's got to be paid on the 1st of December or of January 2025. And I'm going to tell you, my taxes are going to jump quite a bit. And I really don't care where I get extra money back from the government, state, local, or federal, as long as a little bit's coming to me. See, a half, I, I just don't like this idea of a flat tax. That's mm-hmm. a 50% tax cut for the wealthiest people in the state and businesses. They always mm-hmm. get the tax cuts. They always get permanent tax cuts, businesses and the wealthy, and we get thrown scraps. And that's definitely one of the challenges of going to a, a flat tax because you gotta you gotta be able to collapse it all together. And so at some point, you know, there's going to be that discomfort with who's getting what. And the ultimate goal, though, is to get it lower for everyone and to continue to lower it so that we're more competitive in the Midwest. But you're absolutely right with your concern. That's not unreasonable. And, you know, I, I completely share your thought, your, your concerns on the federal side. I, I also am very hopeful that they, they do not um, just allow that to increase. And certainly as someone just like you who has one vote for congressman, you know, I'll let my congressman know that. And you sh- and you sound like you have. So they'll hear from two other voters that we want them to fix that. And that's, that's absolutely the right thing to do. All right. Thank you. We appreciate thank you. that call. Caller's right, though. It's just politics. They're not going to, Republicans on the federal level aren't going to want to give Biden a win. Yeah, I don't know. They're not going to want to see that tax cut no, go away either. Yeah. Well, so. well, I guess no crystal ball here in the studio, yeah, though. So. I, I'm definitely not going to try to predict what's going to happen in Washington, D.C. I have a hard enough time predicting what's going to happen in Madison. That's State Representative Mark Bourne. We've got to take a break. We'll be back in just a few minutes. <laughs> This is 95.3 WBEV, powered by Daily Dodge. The time is one Let's go back to Craig Warmbold for more community comment. And your last chance to um, ask a question, make a comment to State Representative Mark Bourne of Beaver Dam. Here that phone number, 920-885-4446. That's 885-4446. Talking about uh, the uh, the budget, the two-year uh, budget that the uh, the governor unveiled. Uh, Representative Bourne is, a, uh, is the co-chair of the the. Uh, Joint Finance Committee. Want to look at education here now. The uh, the governor's uh, budget um, directs two point six billion dollars in uh, additional funding for uh, K twelve uh, public schools. Your thoughts? 
Well, um, education always is and will be certainly a priority in this budget. Um, the $2.6 billion, billion with a B, of course, um, is certainly way too high. Uh, we will not be um, targeting funding at that level for anything. Um, the, but we will make new investments, as we should. Um, and we also are going to be looking to target some um, reforms or some areas that are clearly in need of help. Um, reading is probably the biggest one. Um, the data has been staggering um, on how behind we are uh, and just kids that can't read, can't read at grade level or can't read at all. And the numbers have been staggering that these kids are in schools and, and can't do what is certainly an important basic thing to be taught in the schools, but something that they need to really survive in, in life and the workforce. And uh, across the state, the numbers are low, and they're even worse in you know minority areas and in our larger cities. Um, so we got to do something about this. We need to tackle this head on. There are after-school programs that help with this um, that are already funded, but maybe we need to look at new ones or funding better funding. There are some in-school things that we can focus on um, to change that. So it's certainly something that we want to work on. I think um, even the Department of Public Instruction is at least recognizing that this is a real problem now, so hopefully they'll work with us on it. Um, and we're also going to continue to look for ways to you know, allow parents to be more involved in their kids' education. I think that partnership is important, and I think that you know, choices for families and, and uh, parents to decide what's best for their kids is always going to be important. So we're always going to work on that as well. But uh, no doubt it will be one of the top areas that will be worked on and invested uh, on in this next state budget. We were talking quite a bit earlier in the program about uh, incentivizing uh, consolidation of uh, emergency services, particularly in rural areas, but not only. Um, do you anticipate incentivization or increased incentivization of consolidating uh, school districts uh, and maybe might wind up being more rural areas? There might be. It's been talked about several budgets. We, I mean, there's current law that incentivizes it. So there are funds available already for schools that want to explore that and do that. You know, I had that here in my district several years ago um, when the the 3K through 8 school districts over on the west side of Dodge County, it was um, Neosho, Herman, Rubicon at that time all had their own K through 8s that fed into the Hartford Joint Union High School. Um, they consolidated into Honor Elementary that's over there now um, in two school buildings. Um, was great for them financially at the time, saved them. I mean, one of them, Herman, was down to almost no students and in you know, dire financial need. Um, so there's opportunities for that already, and it, and it certainly might. Um, we did some improvements four years ago in, into that, I think, in the budget, or maybe it was six years ago. Um, so it might be part of the discussion again. I think if there are you know, if there's interest in that with schools, uh, the state would be interested in partnering. The governor's budget also uh, increases. Um, uh, well, it it, uh, it would uh, include accepting federal Medicaid expansion, something Republicans have always been against, uh, is, is a way to kind of keep a, a Obamacare or whatever uh, at bay. I, I mean, is is it necessary to still keep that uh, out of the uh, out of the state of Wisconsin? As uh, I mean, hasn't enough time passed now? There are people that use the the exchange all the time, and it seems to be beneficial. It seems to be working in other states. It seemed like kind of that was a political thing to begin with. Shouldn't we just be starting to accept this money? 
Um, well, the simple answer is no, and it's not. This isn't about the exchange at all. The exchange is very much alive and well here, and part of the reason why we don't need to expand this welfare program in this way, um, it's not about keeping anything out other than an expansion of welfare is all we're really keeping out. And we don't need it here in Wisconsin. We we do not have large numbers of uninsured like other states do because we have both utilize the ability to utilize the exchange, Obamacare. That's happening. That's not what this is about. Um, and then we have done things to invest in helping to bring those rates down um, here in Wisconsin to make those more accessible. So we have a very small number of underinsured compared to other states. Um, and... Um, Really, what's underinsured at this point is folks that are not are choosing not to access for whatever reason. And I would say because of both what we do with our investments to help lower those rates in Wisconsin, but also the fact that for several years now, because of the declared emergency at the federal level, um, like the co-pays and things for the exchange for certain income levels have been completely covered by the feds. So there is very little to no cost for the lower folks between that 100% that are covered, 100% of the poverty level um, that are covered under the Medicaid program. The folks that are over that, that they would take to 133 that they want to put on this welfare program, the folks in that area um, kind of have their own welfare program with the way the feds have been sub subsidizing that. And so before it was always available, there was just co-pays and things that people say, well, that's a struggle. They can't reach that. That's why there's that gap. Well, there's been virtually no gap for years. So now if you're to the point where you're not taking that coverage, it's because you don't want to or you're not aware of it, even with all the, the messaging through the welfare programs and stuff that makes it available. And um, you know, so if you're just simply refusing to participate in what's available, that's not really a true coverage gap. And um, so we're in good shape with that in Wisconsin overall. You know, if those folks are falling through, we should get them into the right spot where they can get the um, insurance that they need for their health care. But there's no reason to expand uh, the state's uh, federally required uh, welfare program for health insurance, which is known as Medicaid over the, across the country. Um, when, when we've got a good system in place in Wisconsin. Governor's budget proposes $500 million to expand access to mental and uh, behavioral health services uh, to help uh, also help reduce suicide rates. I'm, I'm sure there's bipartisan support for that concept. It's the number that's going to be what uh, holds everybody up. What is a, What do you anticipate might be a palatable number, if any? Well, the number is part of it, but I think more of it's the details because it's not like that's just five hundred million that magically goes into some already created mental. Health. There's a variety of programs that are going to be created in that. There's some that exist that'll be getting additional funding. So I think our focus will be to make investments in areas of mental health, like we have been in schools and in crisis intervention and regionalization of some of that. These are things that we've been talking about and working on for years with with folks at both the state level as well as at uh, the county level. I've had many conversations with Becky Bell at Dodge County Human Services about some of these needs. So we'll look for investments. I think it's more likely that you're going to see us investing in programs that already exist, like the programs that legislative Republicans created six or eight years ago now, and we keep increasing for the schools, mental health piece. 
um, rather than creating a whole bunch of new programs and new bureaucracies that add, you know, some of those 800 and some employees that you mentioned earlier that the governor wants to add to, to the state government bureaucracy. Governor's proposed budget uh, includes uh, paid family and medical leave up to uh, 12 weeks for most private sector work uh, workers. That would also include $240 million in state funding to get it off the ground. It would eventually be funded by employers. Thoughts? Yeah, this is another one of those that's kind of a, a double whammy of, of where the governor is failing. Um, he he needs to always find new ways to create new programs and new bureaucracies. So that's what he did here. But more importantly, this one touches on what I was talking about earlier, where he's constantly looking for different ways to tax. And now here's another tax on business that again is going to, you know, that who pays that in the end is the consumers. And um, so while the issue is one of that's certainly of interest to folks and maybe one that has opportunity for some improvement. Um, this new program um, that includes both uh, government-created program and funding as well as a new tax, basically, on businesses and workers um, across Wisconsin, I'm sure is dead on arrival. Now, another thing, which I don't know if we've talked too much about it yet, um, or maybe we talked about it off the air, but there's a lot of policy in here. You know, we don't usually do policy in these budgets, and we haven't in his last two budgets. And this is really a big policy change where, you know, it merits discussion. So, you know, I think separate pieces of legislation that can run through the normal legislative process through the standing committee, have stakeholders weigh in on, you know, what's important, how it might work, what other states do, things like that. That's not really the role of, of the budget committee to do that kind of a deep dive on, on one or any other particular issue. We're more focused on the appropriations needs of the state for the next two years. The uh, the governor's budget uh, does factor in uh, revenues from taxes collected from legalizing medical and recreational marijuana. Um, you know, we have we have seen other states um, generate revenue this way. Mm-hmm. There doesn't appear to have been a, a windfall of issues that have been associated with that. Um, but uh, it, it does seem, you know, looking at the, the the legislature as a whole, that this might not necessarily gain traction in its, in its entirety. Do you, do you anticipate this being in any budget uh, successfully in the next couple biennial budgets? I don't think you'll see it in a budget again because of the major policy change. I think that um, folks are not, I think I know that legislators are working right now on a bill for um, – medical marijuana um there has been bills in the past i've signed on to some of them in the past i continue to support that i don't think you'll see a lot of tax um, revenue off that i don't think it's the right policy decision or our intent as legislative republicans to tax medical marijuana so much i know some states do but i think if it's really truly a medical need i don't think we're looking to create a revenue source off of that so much um, I don't think there's the votes or interest right now in, in legalizing marijuana in general. I think to say that there hasn't been problems in other states isn't exactly correct. I don't think there's been major problems, but there have been some challenges. I know one of the things that's been very obvious in pretty much every state that's done it is they never generate the amount of revenue that they think they're going to. They do generate revenue, so it's not that it's you know a loss or anything like that, but it's never as much as they think it's going to be. Um, but more importantly, it's a public policy decision that I just don't think there's the support for right now. 
you know, I talk a lot, I work a lot and talk a lot with um, local law enforcement, both in this area as well as statewide on issues. And there's major concerns still with them and, and with some human services folks and stuff. So I don't think that we'll see legalization of recreational anytime soon. A policy issue here, but it does have a, uh, a financial aspect to it. Um, raising the, uh, basically raising the age that somebody could be tried as an adult from 17 to uh, to 18. Uh, is is this the right thing to do? Public policy-wise, I think it's the right thing to do. I've been the lead author of legislation to do this um, prior years. Um, I think my second and third terms, I've passed it off to other le- legislators since then when I got more busy on this budget stuff. Um, but it hasn't been something that we've been able to accomplish either under Walker or Evers so far. Um, there are financial implications to some county funding that's certainly part of the challenge. Um, it will absolutely not be part of this budget because it's definitely a policy change. Um, if we decided to move forward the policy change and needed some funding, we could certainly do the appropriations in this budget. Uh, I don't know whether or not it will get done this session. Uh, it's not something I've been working directly on anymore, like I said, but I certainly support the policy. So final few minutes here. You know, leave us with your, your impression or your prediction. I know we left the crystal ball in the other room of, of how you anticipate the next several months will go in, in terms of um, some of the things that you know that Republicans will, will be putting forth in, in, their, in their bill and, and maybe some of those areas where there's, there might be agreement in addition to areas where there's definitely not going to be agreement. I think that in some ways it will look pretty similar to maybe the last budget where you're going to see um, you know, some tax reform that will lower some tax burden on Wisconsin citizens, but you're also going to see investments in a number of priority areas like education that we talked about. I think local governments are going to be part of this you know, budget. Um, Health care will be. We didn't talk about that too much other than the welfare expansion, which isn't going to happen. But um, there will be some investments in health care. There will be investments in roads, transportation, which I don't think we talked too much about today either other than some passing messages. But um, we'll be back again in the, in the, in the coming months too. Uh, we've got several more months here of the budget process where we can keep folks updated along the way and talk about some of these other priorities. Um, but um, we'll craft a budget that's responsible. Um, you know, that's um, something that um, I'm confident, just like the last one in the end, that, you know, folks in Wisconsin can be proud of that invests in priorities and isn't um, unreasonable like the governor's budget. And um, we, won't, um, we won't overburden the budget with the policy discussions. Those are for a different, a different venue. I'd like to thank everybody who uh, called in today's program. We sure do appreciate it. And again, I know uh, this is the the busiest time of your two-year cycle, and so we do appreciate you carving out some time for us this afternoon, answering our questions and our listeners' questions. Thank you very much. Always nice to be here. Once again, that is State Representative Mark Bourne of Beaver Dam. That is going to do it for today.